Welcome to the Game Changers Podcast, where we have clinical conversations that impact your pharmacy practice. Let's listen in as our team discusses this week's clinical practice game changer. Hello and welcome to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University and internal medicine clinical pharmacist at Methodist Hospital. So today we are going to talk about something a little bit different from the normal primary care stuff we talk about. And that's because this is an issue that has really been all over the lay media and I think uh, in the in the general medical media well. And that's the new uh, two treatments that have been approved by the FDA for sickle cell disease. Now, again, I'm well aware of the fact that, that other than maybe treating things like uh, being occlusive uh, 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 crises or pain or something like that, the average primary care physician is probably not going to run into patients with sickle cell disease. But this could be, and I think many experts think, will be the the tip of of, uh, what will become a, a common way to approach a lot of genetically born diseases with the with the uh, uh, intent. I think cure might be a, a a bit of a of a of a overstep by just a bit at this point, but pretty close to it. Um, and uh, you know the the ability to use uh, CRISPR to um, alter uh, the 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 uh, the sequencing of genes that allows you to fix problems that are innate genetic problems. Obviously, has implications in a wide wide variety of diseases. Um, many of them uh, life you know life threatening or at the very least diseases that uh, you know have a high mor- morbidity associated with them and a high cost associated with them as well. As patients uh, you know utilize the healthcare system in indirect cost when these patients can't work because of their overwhelming diseases. And, uh, you know, sickle cell disease certainly fits fits that criteria. Um, it's a, uh, uh, you know, a full sickle cell disease is a life-threatening blood disorder. It affects about 100,000 people in the United States. If you've never worked with sickle cell patients, you know, it's hard to describe those who've not seen these patients, uh, you know, the pain that they deal with on a daily basis, uh, the fact that they're completely fatigued and wiped out all the time, uh, the fact that they're at higher risk for certain infections because many of them have essentially infarcted their, their uh, spleen. So they're at high risk of a lot of, of, of uh, encapsulated organisms. Uh, again, it's just, it's, it, it not only uh, shortens life, but it definitely makes that shortened life much more painful, much more difficult. And as you might imagine, sickle cell patients are uh, heavy utilizers of the healthcare system uh, quite appropriately. Um, and, and there's been numerous studies that have, have, have noted that because, you know, almost everybody who has sickle cell disease is black, that, you know, there's def- uh, bias and in some cases racism when it comes to these patients going to the emergency room and, and, and you know, not getting the appropriate treatment they should. Uh, we actually did a, a pod a couple of years ago where, where experts in this field decided to open up their own sickle cell emergency room, for example, and they had a tremendous success and quite a bit of decrease in costs uh, to the healthcare system. This therapy has the potential to eliminate that completely, and I suspect that the, the the clinicians in those clinics will be very happy about it. So, so you know, what are these therapies? We actually have uh, two therapies that have been FDA approved. I am only going to uh, try to uh, pronounce the official chemical names once because they're pretty long. Uh, Exagamma glogene automacell. <laughs> <laughs> which everybody's calling Exacel. That's what I would too. Um, and, and that's a, a combined agent from, from Vertex Pharmaceuticals and uh, CRISPR Therapeutics. Um, and then the other is Libobellotagene Automacel or Libacel. 
And um, this comes from a company called Bluebird Bio, and uh, they don't use CRISPR. They actually use a different type of gene editing tool called the lentiviral vector. But in any event, the, 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 uh, the, the thought behind how these work is just absolutely fascinating and I think would be considered science fiction even as recently as 50 or 60 years ago, where we have a fairly simple uh, uh, process of editing uh, the, uh, the genomic sequencing of, of uh, cells. And so in this case, as we know, sickle cell disease basically involves a single point mutation in hemoglobin. So uh, patients with sickle cell disease do not produce hemoglobin A that yeah, most people do produce, and in fact, um, uh, uh, have a sickled form of hemoglobin. And this sickle form of hemoglobin does not carry oxygen well. And so that's, you know, these patients have a lot of problems with, with poor oxygen and hypoxic states. Also, because of the, the sickle shape, it gets caught and blocked in, in, in certain areas of the body. So it, it actually acts as, as kind of a tag that more and more sickle cells uh, arrive at. And then you lead, that leads to uh, uh, occlusions of the veins and sometimes even the arteries. And so these patients can get these, these micro occlusions that can lead to unbelievable pain, can lead to organ damage, and uh, in some cases, stroke as well because of the blockage, and which can reach the brain. So, you know, it's a serious disease. We, we could spend an entire pod uh, talking about uh, the uh, evolution of, of sickle cell disease. And one of the theories of, of the evolution of sickle cell disease that I've always thought was fascinating was that it's an actual positive evolutionary pressure to, uh, to, to fend off patients with malaria. Remember that malaria is, is, is very common and it still kills millions of people every year. And that, uh, that uh, an evolutionary response to malaria was the development of sickle cells because sickle cells are, are, do not usually get infected with uh, the malaria bi or the malaria parasite. Kind of interesting, if true, um, that would be kind of a, a an interesting way that that uh, that evolution sought to to, uh, to to take care of one problem and basically have another one. So, but that's a whole that's a whole pot in and of itself. So let's go ahead and talk about these agents. The XSL agent again is the is the one that uses CRISPR technology. And remember that CRISPR technology and there's a number of great books out there that I encourage you to read um, that describe what exactly CRISPR is and the and the uh, the incredible uh, effort it took and money it took to get. CRISPR CRISPR uh, technology up and running basically allows with, with, with a fairly simple, I mean, <laughs> not so simple I could do it, but a, a fairly simple process for scientists trained in this to basically easily alter a genetic sequencing. And they can do it at one point, they can do it at several points, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, in theory, and again, this is kind of in theory, you can use CRISPR to basically alter the genetic sequencing of any cell and you can block that cell from being produced again. So if you had a cell for that, for example, was causing a negative effect in the body, you we theoretically should be able to go in and block that particular cell from being made ever again and, and have that cell line die out. Or you can alter the uh, a, a, a gene to produce a cell that is replacing a, mu a mutated cell in the body that's leading to a certain disease, and that's that's exactly what's going on here. Um, that that we're using CRISPR to actually alter um, uh, um, stem cells to produce instead of hemoglobin uh, uh, F uh, to to uh, which is the the sickle cell or hemoglobin S excuse me which is the, the sickle cell of hemoglobin to hemoglobin A which is 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 the actual you know normal hemoglobin that adults do produce so um, what happens in the technology is is they and this is true for both Libacell and for Exacell is they they take some bone marrow from the patient with sickle cell disease 
They then condition it, uh, make it undergo this CRISPR process or this other lentiviral vector process that allows them to alter those stem cells so that they can start producing hemoglobin A. And it's not exactly hemoglobin A, it's it's hemoglobin A that that has some small changes in it, but they, they are noted in, in, the, in these studies. Uh, but it does basically everything hemoglobin A does. They then do what they would do under normal circumstances, which is perform an, an autologous stem cell transplant. So uh, basically the, the patient is conditioned receiving, you know, close to lethal doses of, of uh, chemotherapy or in some cases radiation that essentially destroys uh, existing bone marrow. And then the patient is engrafted with the, with the, the, the transferable bone marrow. It grows in, it starts doing the job of, of the previous bone marrow, but now you have this CRISPR edited progenitor cells that now produce hemoglobin A instead of sickled hemoglobin. So, I mean, that's, that, that's a very <laughs> lay person description of, 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 of what happens, but I think that that generally is the gist of how this works. Now, the advantage of this over, which was what was considered the previous cure for severe sickle cell disease, which was um, uh, allogenic stem cell transplant, is that allogenic stem cell transplant, the patient is, is getting an infusion of someone else's cells. And that means that uh, they're essentially trading one set of problems for another while they may be cured of their of their sickle cell disease. They're going to have all the problems associated with, with graft-versus-host disease and increased levels of infections and all that other stuff. And if you're using your own cells, most of those problems go away. And really the only risk occurs in that first hundred days while you're engrafting your own cells back. So, um, you know, yes, up front, it's, it's, it's a little scary, but, but these patients do far, far better than allogenic stem cell transplant patients. So that's kind of the, the, the process by which that happens. Um, the, the, the FDA improved the, the, uh, uh exagel based on a study called the climb SCD 121 one cell. Um, again, these are going to be small studies because um, it's a pretty expensive process and they would do want to target patients who have severe manifestations, at least up front, of sickle cell disease. Um, and so this study uh, 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 basically did this process we just talked about. And it's worth noting, they get a single infusion. That's it. Where, you know, after the, 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 the autologous stem cell transplant, really no other therapy is, is given for the patient. And so uh, uh, what happens then is, is uh, uh, they monitor the patient over the course of 12 months, 24 months, et cetera, et cetera. And they want to look at things like venoocclusive crises. So again, how many times do they have this big, you know, wave of pain that is completely overwhelming or they're at risk of developing uh, uh, clots in their body or strokes and things along those lines. That's the thing they want to take a look at. They, of course, measured uh, uh, hemoglobin A and fetal hemoglobin, which again are, are, are the hemoglobins that uh, you should have without sickle cell disease. And they also measured just general hemoglobin levels in well. And what they found in, in this first study with the exocell was they found that over a 12-month period that they originally did this therapy in 31 patients, 28 of these patients remained completely free of venoocclusive cases for almost two years. So almost everybody who got this therapy essentially had no pain, essentially had no venoocclusive cases, had an increase in quality of life, weren't hospitalized, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, pretty dramatic uh, responses that seem to be pretty durable over, over two years. Um, they did note that one patient died about nine months after receiving an XSL infusion. And remember that, that at least for that first several months after the, the stem cell transplant, even an autologous stem cell transplant patients are going to be at risk for infection, some other problems along those lines. 
uh, they uh, uh, found that, they, that in general, uh, patients' hemoglobins rose from the low sixes up to 11, which is almost normal, that they remained at that level afterwards. There wasn't any sort of failure or levels going back to normal. Um, basically, this was a durable response that lasted for a long time. So uh, essentially a one-time functional cure is what the, the head of the of the, the study basically suggested. So, um, you know, again, pretty dramatic uh, results. And as you might imagine, why you've heard so much about it in the, in the lay media, because, you know, yes, sickle cell disease is a terrible disease, but there's a wide ranging number of diseases out there that have a one or two point mutation that if we can figure out how to fix it, uh, that, that, uh, the patient could essentially be cured. And, you know, that goes from, you know, muscle diseases to uh, CNS diseases, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I, you know, this, this could, you know, be as big a breakthrough in the treatment of medicine as the development of penicillin was in, in the 1950s. So the other big therapy, uh, being looked at is Levocell. And again, it's, it's, it's fairly, similar to XSL, just uses a different uh, gene editing technology, uh, which, which basically it's, it's, it's called a lentiviral vector. So it's, 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 a, it's a viral vector that is easily controlled and easily manipulated to let, make, it, you do, make it do what you want it to. And then it's, it's delivered into the genome to make its, its uh, modifications in that. But other than that, the, the entire therapy is exactly the same. It's, it's a, it's a one-time single-dose infusion that the patient gets um, after they have a, a um, autologous conditioning. They take the autologous stem cells, they undergo this, this, this treatment, and then are injected back and regrafted into the patient's. Uh, there's two studies that are being looked at um, and, and have one has been recently published in the New England Journal. The other was just announced uh, last week at the American Society of Hematology meeting. And uh, this is an important uh, meeting study because it, it's the first five-year study. So this is data where they're actually gone out to five years in these patients, which, which is pretty impressive. Um, the, but the, the first study that, that uh, was published in the New England Journal of Medicine last year um, looked at patients uh, between a ages 12 and 50, uh, who had received a diagnosis of sickle cell disease and the appropriate genotype, uh, they had to have, be fairly active, so they, their performance scores had to be pretty decent, um, and uh, they, if they were under age 18, there's other performance scores they had to look at as well. They had to have failed a, a trial of hydroxyurea, which is considered the standard care of, of, of uh uh, sickle cell because it pushes the development of uh, hemoglobin S to hemoglobin F, which while it isn't as good as hemoglobin A, is the fetal hemoglobin that that doesn't sickle as much. Uh, these people had to had to fail that. A 24-month history of active treatment for sickle cell disease, and they were actually not eligible to receive a autologous stem cell transplant. So these were patients who had basically run out of, out of other options is, is really the only way to kind of take a look at it. Um, they looked at, again, these, these weren't a, a, a ton of patients, as you might imagine, because it's a fairly smaller, smaller disease state. Um, but uh, um, they uh, uh, did look at, at patients who had sickle cell disease and had recurrent uh, basal occlusive events. And, and I think the average was four in a year in these patients or patients who had um, um, a history of overt stroke. Uh, were also included. So people might have had a stroke from their sickle cell disease were included as well. They then, again, uh, underwent uh, chemo uh, myeloablation, again, kind of a destruction of their own bone marrow, and then received levocell infusion. Um, then, just like the previous study, they they wanted to take a look at, at outcomes, including the number of, you know, occlusive 
episodes, uh, the amount of hemoglobin A being produced, their overall hemoglobin and quality of life. And uh, uh, what they basically uh, found, they took a look at, at these patients and they had, again, 36 uh, patients in the study, again, not, not, not huge. Um, and they received a single infusion of Levacel. Uh, and, and this first study in the New England Journal, the follow-up was uh, 35 months, so uh, um, uh, actually close to three years in these patients. Um, and uh, they found that uh, basically the, the, the development of this hemoglobin A, and again, it's not pure hemoglobin A, it's, it's hemoglobin A, T87Q levels rose from 4.5 and six months post-infusion uh, to 8.7. So basically hemoglobin A levels were essentially at 8.7 in these patients. And then it went up even further to 11.8, which again, in, in most patients is low normal. So, uh, you know, again, just incredible uh, increased numbers of hemoglobin A production and basically normalizing these patients hemoglobin as well. Uh, when they took a look at, at you know, occlusive events, uh, they actually found that 90 to 97% of patients had complete resolution of venoocclusive events during the, the time period of the study. Um, and uh, they uh, found that, that levels of pain dramatically dropped. Uh, there were no strokes in any of these patients, et cetera, et cetera. So again, just unbelievable um, uh, uh, results from, from, this, uh, from this therapy. Now, of course, you know, there's no free lunches, we're all well aware. So, you know, one of the things that that I think we really need to take a hard look at is, is safety, especially in a study that only has, you know, 30 to 40 patients in it, what did they find? And that's, you know, again, something I think we need to be a little bit cautious about before running around saying this is, you know, the cure for, for um, a sickle cell uh, disease in all patients. Um, it's, it's worth noting that almost all of the, of the side effects in the study were because of the autologous stem cell transplant. So uh, after that, it completed and after the first you know you know three to nine months of, of the of the uh, in, uh, re-engrafting most side effects were basically were, were were nothing and didn't really have any side effects whatsoever at all but it is worth noting that this will not be an easy therapy for patients that first you know three to nine months after uh, they're going to be at risk for infection they're going to be at risk for the side effects of the of the immunosuppressive regimens we have them on uh, and so it's something worth noting in the study itself uh, they noticed that you know the some of the common side effects you would see in stem cell transplants, stomatitis is extremely common in, in stem cell transplant. Yeah, about 70% of patients had that. Uh, a, a large number of them had abnormalities in their complete blood count, neutropenia, anemia, leukocytopenia. Small percentage of patients developed uh, a, a it will probably not true venal occlusive disease, but did find an increase in their LFTs and their uh, bilirubins, which again is is a not uncommon effect that you're going to see with 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 stem cell transplants, even autologous stem cell transplants. Um, despite all that, uh, they they did do health related quality of life data, and again the the numbers were were just incredible and 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 really dramatically improved pretty much across all the domains that they looked at. So it, you know it. Are, do we have any data showing that this is even more durable now? We're going to talk about that uh, after we hear from our sponsor, CE Impact. Are you a pharmacist by design? Since we hold a vital position on the healthcare team, it is our responsibility to advance our knowledge and skills so we can provide the best possible care to our patients. Being a pharmacist by design means striving to be the best version of ourselves, not just as professionals, but as individuals dedicated to improving patient outcomes. Learn more about Pharmacist by Design at ceimpact.com. Join us and begin your journey to being the best version of your pharmacist self. 
So we're back talking about what could be, uh, you know, like always dangerous to use this word, a miracle treatment. Um, um, this really could, uh, you know, alter how we treat not only sickle cell disease patients, but again, a wide variety of, of, of other types of diseases, even within this same, uh, uh, you know, classification of diseases, a far higher number of patients have uh, beta thalassemia, which is kind of a cousin of sickle cell disease. And not all those patients have serious problems that need to have something as, as, as dramatic as this done. But there is a percentage of patients who have similar symptoms with beta thalassemia compared to, to sickle cell disease. And and uh, there's no reason this therapy couldn't work for them. But just obviously using the CRISPR or or the other technology to make a slight change in another another uh, point mutation, basically. So, the PROS57 was the the part of the study that looked at uh, health related quality of life. This same group uh, of patients that we just talked about in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, actually went forward another another few uh, few months, actually looking at 48 months now for essentially five years out, and they wanted to take a look again more more durability and side effects than anything else. And what they basically found was, yes, the, uh, this single infusion of CRISPR altered um, uh, stem cells uh, or other types of altered stem cells did find an incredibly durable, uh, durable response. For example, uh, yeah, on a scale of one to ten, pain intensity, the baseline pain score uh, in these uh, in this in these patients in the study was uh, four point eight. And uh, by month 48, um, it was uh, uh, down to uh, 2.5, basically cut in half. And that number is, it was pretty much the same number, just a little bit smaller than it was at uh, month six. So, uh, you know, again, very, very durable response. Uh, the same with pain interference in patients' lives on a scale of one to 100. Uh, the the, uh, the mean was 58 in these patients, and that dropped anywhere from 10 to 12 and stayed that way through month 48. So at least out to five years, that seemed to, to really help. Fatigue wasn't quite as durable. Um, though one wonders if fatigue, you know, there are other factors that may contribute to that. So I think that, that that's kind of worth worth noting. But but uh, overall, when they took a look at health reported quality of life, most of the numbers showed really big improvements. And that re those real big improvements were, were maintained over, over five years. They wanted to look at total hemoglobin A in these patients. Again, we said that, you know, after about three years, they were maintaining hemoglobin A levels in kind of the 11 range, you know, again, which would be a kind of low normal, I think. And again, uh, uh, it's worth noting that almost all patients maintained a hemoglobin uh, in, in the 11s or 12 ranges by the end of the study. So, you know, at, even after five years of receiving the single infusion, uh, these patients essentially maintain uh, the right the development of hemoglobin A, um, and uh, a normal or low normal hemoglobin in these patients. So, you know, an extremely durable response, as we mentioned. Also, side effects uh, at five years uh, uh, seemed fairly compatible with placebo. There were still a couple of patients who had elevated LFTs, um, but other than that, there was essentially no significant side effects that far out from the stem cell transplant. So, um, you know, just absolutely incredible. But of course, this is going to come with a price. And that's unfortunately like so many of these of these blockbuster therapies, what's really going to, 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 to make it problematic is that it's estimated that a single infusion, and again, this does count you know, getting a stem cell transplant, which isn't cheap either. I mean, just getting the stem plant in and of itself, it, you know, approaches a million dollars. But the the treatment, all told, uh, with everything in, it, is about two million dollars. And yes, you heard me right. So, I mean, you know, again, if if you were to you know treat 
you know, every patient who had stem or sickle cell disease would, you know, bankrupt the healthcare system. And so, you know, like so many things, I mean, they are really going to have to target patients who have failed, you know, and have, you know, significant symptoms despite uh, 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 treatments like uh, hydroxyurea, uh, patients maybe who have had strokes previously because they're at risks of having further strokes. Um, you know, I, again, I, you know, that's going to kind of, you know, end up in the realm of the pharmacogenomics uh, people. And unfortunately, the, the pe people at PBMs to try and work that calculus. But I think it's worth noting that if we're talking about a disease where a single infusion essentially gives patients a functional cure, I think, uh, you know, insurance companies should they probably won't, but they should take a look at a lifetime costs, right? Uh, a patient's sickle cell disease are unfortunately frequent users of the healthcare system. They're they're in the emergency room often. They're they're seeing their doctors frequently. They're hospitalized frequently. And you know how many uh, ER visits and hospitalizations adds up to two million dollars. You may think a lot, but you know, as someone who works in a hospital, I can tell you a, a four or five day stay in the hospital ain't cheap. And if someone gets admitted to the hospital a couple times a year for this, um, you could be you could reach cost neutrality actually pretty quick. Now, again, I'm sure there's many other factors involved, but but I'm hopeful, um, probably stupidly so, but hopeful that 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 insurance companies do take a look at this and and really take a look at at you know the, uh, the societal costs, the cost to um, um, insurance companies, uh, particularly the cost to to companies such as Medicaid. Um, unfortunately, many patients with sickle cell disease are in a low, in a low, lower socioeconomic strata. Many of them are on their state Medicaid programs. Um, you know, it, it does this, does, uh, you know, taking a look at, at the highest disease burden patients and, and say, look, you know, we're going to pay for this because not only is it the right thing to do for the patient, but overall it's going to save us money. It'll be very interesting to see what happens with that. So. Again, you know, uh, the, the the lay media has gone kind of nuts about this, and and this is one of those times I kind of agree with them. I mean, I, I I'm hoping we look back on on these couple of studies, and ten years from now we'll have you know great treatments for muscular dystrophy, great treatments for type one diabetes, great treatments for um, you know uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, great treatments for a lot of these diseases that at least start out genetically, and then and then uh, uh, there may be a case where where environment pushes the the disease to its active form. Um, but I, I think there, even if you just don't count, you know, this and count kind of the rare, you know, diseases that we know single point mutations make a role in, uh, that it's, you know, again, if we, it, it would be a very cool thing if, if 10 years from now, we could say those diseases are rare or not really seen at all. So that's it for this week of Game Changers. I hope you like what you heard. We'll see you next week. But remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Jen here. Be sure to check out our education at ceimpact.com. You'll find it to be your one-stop shop for all the CE resources you need. Become a Pharmacist by Design member today to access it all for free, including CE for this podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week on Game Changers Clinical Conversations.